Hi, I'm June Sarpong and welcome to Championing Women's Voices, the podcast from NatWest sharing stories of incredible women and their work. In this series, I'm speaking to guests from all walks of life, business, sport, entertainment and activism to discuss strategies for success, whatever that means, and to learn how we can inspire and support one another. Today, I want to discuss the topic of networking and building your tribe. As the old phrase goes, it's not about what you know, but who you know. But to me, networking isn't about high society back scratching. It's about building a support system and giving back in return. And the benefits can go a very long way. But where do you start? And what if the idea of schmoozing at networking events sends shivers down your spine? Well, I've got two guests with me today who I hope are going to share a lot of tips. So in the studio, we have Fee Bendel, founder and CEO of the Female Social Network, a platform connecting women so they excel in their business and family life. Hi, Fee. Hello, June. Hello. Always good to see you. (laughs) And we have Nafisa Baca, founder of Amalia.com, a media company dedicated to amplifying the voices of Muslim women whose work has been featured across Forbes, Telegraph, CNN and The Guardian and many more, just to name a few. How are you, Nafisa? I'm good, thank you. Good. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Great to have you here. So I'm going to start with you first, Nafisa, because... I think the thing that I love about your company is that it was born out of the idea of amplifying the voices of your community and particularly a group of women in society who have been targeted and discriminated against. And there's often a lot of misconception around. So for you, was the idea of the website purely to sort of give an authentic platform to Muslim women, but also to educate wider society or or a combination of both? Yeah, I think primarily our work is about how do we create space for Muslim Mm. women in particular, both offline, both online. And then to your second point in terms of what does that look like in the wider world, in the most more recent years, our work has also been around how do we work with brands, organisations, agencies to help them understand these audiences and reach them in a meaningful way because brands have a huge impact on culture and cultural change. So for us, it's being able to bridge those gaps and those gaps of knowledge to create more moments for Muslim women. Brilliant. And and what would you say are the sort of unique points of difference? Why would you need a platform specifically aimed at Muslim women? I think part of it is that, like you mentioned, Muslim women are quite a discriminated group. Mm. And so it's about being able to give a space where they're able to speak on their own terms and there's no sort of gatekeepers who are filtering what they get to say or who they get to be on those platforms. Because a lot of the times and a lot of minority groups will find this is when you're past the mic it's still very particular about what you can speak about and who you get to be in that identity Mm -hmm. and for us it's actually if a Muslim woman wants to write 10 ways to use avocado she can (laughs) do that she doesn't doesn't have to talk about wearing the hijab exactly in the way that a a mainstream magazine wants that angle always yeah yeah, I get it (laughs) (laughs) I love it okay Sophie you've worked in the digital sector um, all around the world you are a pioneer in this space. 
And the thing with your background is you did not start out doing women-specific platforms. You were doing just global platforms in general. So why did you decide to focus on a female one? It's my own story. So um, I've um, been running my own businesses for the last 27 years. I started a business because I became a mother and I faced a lot of the same challenges other women do around childcare. I wasn't in a particularly happy marriage. And I just happened to be quite good at it. I didn't know what I was doing whatsoever. It was uh, a bit Bridget Jones's Guide to Entrepreneurship is kind of my <laughs> story. Um, but I happened to be quite good at it and then sold that business and unfortunately found myself three months pregnant without a husband, without any money. And so I was sort of walking around hiding my pregnancy because people don't give business or work or employ pregnant women. Yep. Or capital. Absolutely yep. not. And so that was business number two. And I, again, was quite good at it. I didn't really know what I was doing, but somehow it was quite good. And and my specialism was in psychology and technology and really rode the dot-com crash. I had real revenues, so it didn't really affect me and was quite good at that business. And then I headed off to Australia pregnant with my third child. So businesses with each child, just to make it easy for myself. You know, it's rather, rather fun having <laughs> Child starting a business. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I'd been in Australia for a little while and I'd been fortunate to build quite a strong profile there. And then all these women started to contact me on direct message through Facebook. And I can really understand from what you're talking about with the Muslim women, it's having a voice. And mm. actually, regardless of creed, women's voices are just not heard, even though we're 52% of the population. Mm. And certainly mothers' voices Mm. are not heard whatsoever. Or they're expected to be heard only in a particular way. Absolutely, absolutely. So I realised, because I'm a bit of a research nerd, that all these mothers were starting businesses and the biggest growth of startups globally is actually mothers. And um, yeah, childcare costs are a massive driver of this issue anyway it became you can start to see I'm starting to get on my soapbox it became (laughs) a real something that I thought was appalling because startup land was for 17 to 27 year old males so I made a real nuisance of myself with the Australian government and was very fortunate to work with a cabinet minister called Bruce Bilson who is one of the few politicians I've met in my life who really cares Mm. and we were able to get female entrepreneurship and mumpreneurship firmly on the agenda and Right up from Australia to the G20, we were consulting Prime Minister Trudeau at the G7. The Canadian government are hugely supportive around this issue. And and so I've really been part of that social change. And And that revolution. Yeah, and that's how the Female Social Network started, again, completely by accident. I love it. (laughs) So so what are the key areas that you're trying to promote? So aside from, obviously, mompreneurship... Yeah, uh, and the idea of women sort of being in control of their destiny. Are there other points that sort of feed uh, into that? Yeah, I mean, we're a network of networks, so we're an aggregate of women and networks. And a lot of these networks, on certainly on social media, they don't commercialise themselves very well, yet they've got highly engaged audiences and real purpose. Some of them aren't very good. The internet's full of wonderful things and not always good things. So we have a bit of a code of conduct and we're really looking to build a whole economy, a shared economy Mm. for women. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of women come in with ideas and we're able to take those ideas, 
put strategies around them, work with brands to go, actually, this is the most important audience in the world that the, mm. is women. Mm. 42% of our purchases are not made because of an advert. They're made because we recommend to each other. Mm. And consequently, you need to build your relationship with your audience and consumers in a very different way today mm. to reach those women. And so we're able to build those bridges between brands and the women in the network. We're also allowed to create take the ideation of those women in the network and bring them to market in a whole new way. Amazing. Well done. It's brilliant. So to both of you, and I'll ask you first, Nafisa, the idea of networking, as I said in the intro, um, sends a a shiver down a lot of women's spines and and not in a good way either. (laughs) Why is it important to network and how do you go about building your tribe? It's who you know that matters. Mm. And I think a lot of the times people sort of put that statement out as if I'll never get to where I want to be because I just don't know those people. And I started Amalia when I'd come out of university, didn't have a network, didn't have capital, didn't really have a foot in the door in any of the industries that we're now in. So for me, it was like, right, I'm going to need some help here. And for me, fundamentally, where we are today as a business is down to the networks that we've created and the relationships because Ultimately, networking is about a values exchange, right? And it might be that you meet people today that actually in three years' time, something then happens from that relationship. Yes, it might not be immediate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I think my first thing was understanding that. It wasn't about, right, I need to do X. Who's going to help me do X? It was just understanding that actually if I feel like there's shared values between me and another person, we should probably talk and we Mm. should probably connect and Mm. something might come out of Mm -hmm. it or something might not, Mm -hmm. right? And for me, when I was sort of embarking on building a network, I just thought of, okay, who do I feel is the most networked person I know? Mm. And at the time it was my manager. And I'd just go to my manager and i say, look, this is what I'm trying to do. Is there anyone you could put me in front of? And then I started slowly building my network like that. And then also for me, I'm a huge advocate of Twitter as well. Twitter has helped me build my network incredibly. Really? Yeah, to the point where earlier this year... I got to be published in a book. So I got to write a whole chapter in a book that started from Twitter, that started from someone coming into my DMs and saying, hey, Nafisa, Mm. I'm working on a project. Would love to have you involved. And I think Twitter is that space in between, say, Instagram, which can be quite personal, and then LinkedIn, which is very professional. Professional, (laughs) And Twitter, you can really use it as this in-between space where it's like, this is who I am as Mm -hmm. a person. That's what I think. Yeah, but you can also share your work there. You can also make connections. So Twitter has been absolutely incredible for Mm. me. And I I will always advocate in terms of just lowering the bar for people who don't have their foot into industries. It makes it very accessible to reach people and reach out to people. The second thing I would say is good old cold emails yeah nothing to lose right yeah Yeah. I I think it's important to say that actually because a lot of women are scared to send cold emails but I'm not nothing to lose so what if this person doesn't reply yeah Yeah. I literally will cold email someone and earlier this month we did an event with Waterstones Mm. and that started from a cold email a year ago right and we were just building the relationship and then this time they said actually we're programming a series of events we'd love to work with you Mm. and you just you've just got to push yourself and be a bit think actually what's the worst that can happen and there's literally no limit. You could reach out to the biggest brands in the world Mm. and you just don't know who's behind that email address. You never know. And also because you have 
what is considered a hard-to-reach audience. Yes. yes. Nobody knows how to access that <laughs> yeah. audience authentically, and you're the gateway to that. Yeah. So, yeah, that in itself is a really um, precious commodity, as it were. So it's brilliant. So, Fee, tell us, how should you network? How should you build your tribe? I mean, I agree with Nafisa. I think you have to have a bit of... You know, people have a perception of me that isn't necessarily the right perception. You know, I have self-doubt. I have worries. I get concerned. And sometimes... They think you're never insecure. You just can do it all. Yeah, Yeah. and I think sometimes you almost have to close your eyes and just go, I'm just going to go for it. What's the worst that can happen? I just think so many of us as women, and it's a gender thing, it's not that men are better or women are better, but women, just as a gender, I don't know if it's a biological thing, we have more self-doubt. Yeah. And also, I think, I think it's how we've been socialised. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so it's trying to get through that barrier, and I, I find that hard as well, and the perception would be that I don't, but I do. I, I'm very honest about it. It mm. can be really difficult at times. And mm. there's days, I think, also when you're running your own business and, and I think when you feel you're representing other women as well, that's quite a responsibility. And there's some days I just don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's challenging, right? I want to tap out. Yeah, yeah. So I think when you're then talking about networking or reaching out, one having the right mindset, whether you've done the right meditation that morning or if you just close your eyes and go, stuff it, let's it just go for it. Because it does make a difference. That yeah, I, I love meditation and prayer and all of that stuff. I think it really does. For me, anyway, I think it makes yeah. a real difference to how yeah. my day goes. It so, does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of networking, and I'll ask you, feet, people often assume that you have to be an extrovert to be good at it. Yeah. What are you? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? And how has that influenced how you network? I think I'm both. I think I'm both an extrovert and ambivert. an introvert. You know, I'm oh, is that what they call it? An ambivert? Yes. An ambivert, is that right? Okay. It's my word of the day. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I think you can be both. But the truth is we've done a lot of research and kind of our secret sources, we, we focus on only 6% of our audience mainly. So I was fortunate to do a lot of research in, in my early days around over 900 personality characteristics and what is the matrix that makes someone effective at changing your opinion. And we have different influence and different nodes of interest as well, so it's not just a flat structure. But you'll see in any community that there will be people that come forward and are more persuasive than others. And generally, if you actually start to look for it, you'll see there's only 6% in any group that you get that will push forward and be more persuasive or or jump up and down about things. Now, there's things that I'm quite passionate about where I have that 6% personality. You know, I'm information hungry. I believe in learning a living, earning a living. Yeah, and I, I have that personality type, but I need to want to give us stuff about something the truth is that it depends on your node of passion as to whether it gets under your skin enough to push yourself forward and and so I think you can be both and I think listening and not pushing yourself forward two ears and one mouth is also a very sound strategy depending on the environment you're in or of course and so one thing that I want to find out from you Nafisa because you seem like very self-contained you seem like a very um introvert but don't be fooled by that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can tell you know how to get stuff done. So how have you been able to navigate that side of your personality? So when I first started and founded Amalia, I was like, 
oh my God, I feel like I need to be that slimy salesman in a grey suit to like get anywhere <laughs> in the world, right? And especially I remember when, so my co-founder is my sister, mm-hmm. and talking about pregnancy, we went yeah. through a business accelerator and at the time she was eight months pregnant oh on the accelerator. Wow. And we were going to be meeting investors, we were going to be meeting potential mentors and things like that. I was the only female CEO on the program. And I remember thinking, God, like, who's going to take us seriously? And do I have mm. to sort of emulate being this man to sort of negotiate my my way through? And I ended up finding a lot of power in my own style and mm. my own introverted self. Mm. And one of the things was when I read Quiet by Susan Cain. Yeah, which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, all about finding mm-hmm. your power in extroverted mm. world because... I do think that extrovert ideal is a thing. Mm. And I do think a lot of traditional networking is set up for the extrovert ideal of like... And a lot of corporate structures yeah, are set up yeah, for the extrovert. Yeah, hugely. And I always question, like, how will I find my way in that? But now, like, I fully have this sense of confidence. It's quiet power. Yeah, this mm. quiet power. And I, I know that actually when I turn up and when I speak and when I'm articulate... I don't need to be this big mm. presence. Mm. I, like on sound tests, I'm always told I, I speak really... Um, low, quaint. Yeah, mm. sort of low. Mm. And I always say to myself, oh, just to let you know, I'm always told I speak really low. And I used to think, oh, I've got to like be this different person, especially because I do a lot of public speaking. Mm. But then I realised, actually, this is my style. This is who I who am. you and, are. Yeah, yeah, and if you're not comfortable in how you're presenting yourself and if you feel like you're presenting a shell of who you are then that's also going to come across mm-hmm. and so for me I I've found a lot of power in that I'm also very aware that I'm also kind of in my own structures I'm not in the court I dip in and out of okay. other structures right yeah. so I can do that but Another thing is I thought I was a really deep introvert because I'd go to networking sessions and I'd come away feeling really crap about myself because I'd be like, oh, I didn't speak to enough people and I wasted my time. I didn't push myself enough and things like that. And then actually what I realised is when I started networking in female-only spaces or inclusive spaces, spaces that were inclusive to especially women of colour, people Mm -hmm. of colour, I was like, actually, I really like talking to other people. Mm. And I was like this social butterfly yeah. at these events. You're like, right? I need to feel like I belong. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would come away from those events and be like, actually, I felt really good. I got a lot of energy. And the whole introvert and extrovert things about where do you get energy, mm. energy from? And I'd come away from these events, especially when we did Amalia mm. events, and I would have spoken to literally the whole room, mm. which was a very stark contrast to when I started out. Mm. And I just realised, actually, it's also how spaces are set up mm. that give you these ideals of yourself and 100%. make you question yourself. And the, and also because as women, and particularly, as you said, as women of colour, we are forever having to come up against preconceptions mm. and also bust misconceptions about us too and I think that actually sometimes that can be exhausting so if you are in a space that isn't particularly uh, welcoming or inclusive of you the extra level of work work and also drive it takes 
to change really the, the energy yourself. of that room. Yeah. It's tiring. Sometimes you can't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> especially here we go where I'm welcome. Especially if you think about the nature of what we do. Sometimes, you know, you're tired and yeah. you're like, right, I'm going to have to work really hard to change this yeah. energy. And then you I'm say... I'm not trying to prove myself <laughs> that much. Yeah. You know and, I mean? and for me, like you say what you do and especially because for a lot of people it's seen as something niche, seen as very different. Mm-hmm. And then you're also very hyper aware of how how, how is that now going to be received? Correct. Am I now going to be seen as the spokesman for all Muslims? Are yeah. they now going to ask me something that's like borderline Islamophobic? Yes. And all yeah. these sort of things, yeah. right? That second guessing is what then sort of hinders you, you just you. being able to... Yeah. yeah, and your brilliance. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so talking about sort of drawing up your network, um, what I'd love to know from both of you, and I'll start with you, Fee, is how you've structured your network at different stages of your career. So, i.e., in the beginning, perhaps you need more of a sounding board and someone to sort of help you solve problems. And as you rise and the sort of challenges become bigger, a confidence boost really matters, particularly when you go into territories where women have never been before. Mm. And then kind of finding others with skills that can help. Mm. So how have you sort of structured that? I think one of my big learnings was actually people like to be asked for advice. We don't think they do, but they actually really like to be asked That's for advice. And, point. and a really good tactic and it's a tactic that it's one of the key things that I've taken forward is when when you actually literally approach someone and say I would, I'd like your advice I've got a problem around this or I'm considering this or I don't know who to go to around this they're more than willing more than generous to help you and so the notion of mentorship I think can be slightly overplayed I think really it's go and talk to people ask their advice ask who they should talk to when we raised our funding I realized I had to have certain people around me I'm good at one thing but I'm not so good I've never been good at maths right so you get someone who's good at the figures who can present it who can challenge you you know I sat three days in a room with a finance guy to really get our IM honed but he really knew how to do those figures really well he knew how to really question me and put me in that situation that I felt very confident and then you know someone else who knew where to go and get investment from and so I went and asked and and I think it's also really important and they were all guys as well actually who supported me so it's it's not just this gender play but I think the other thing around that is it's who they then introduce you to Mm. and understanding the opportunity to take support and help is an ongoing thing rather than going, this is my mentor and I'm going to meet them for an hour a week or whatever. For me anyway, personally, it's a fluid, ongoing thing and people come in and out who can help me and support me. What I learned from that experience, and it definitely involves mentors and people who supported me, was I am the front and I'm the sizzle and I know my stuff and I'm passionate and I love it. And then you leave other people to do those other things. You don't try and do everything yourself. Mm. And I think... Trying to do everything yourself is foolhardy yeah. and ridiculous. Yeah. And and so whether it's reaching out to someone to mentor you, whether it's creating a network, whether it's looking for help and support, please can have your advice is probably the first thing that you can ever do. Yeah. And people are so generous in my opinion and men in particular have been very generous in helping me and supporting me and yeah. I think women like it as well. You know, well, we all like to feel valuable, don't we? <laughs> we do. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised at how much people want to help and yeah, how much absolutely. they want to sort of give you their time. And that's mm. definitely been a learning for me. And I literally, again, always push boundaries on like, let me just ask, let me see what happens. And then next thing you know, like, it's opened so many doors. For me, in terms of drawing on your network and the different stages. So 
I think early on and even now as well, a lot of it was literally resources. So in terms of physical, even from we need a laptop, right, to we need podcasting space, to we need desk space. And we really lent on our network to sort of fill in those gaps of when we weren't essentially bootstrapping, right? And even now we still think, okay, who can we ask to sort of make this happen? So we launched a podcast last year and we were like, right, we're going to sort of experiment. We're going to see what happens. We don't want to invest in the equipment yet. And we did later. But we knew a filmmaker and he had like amazing mics and a setup. He borrowed us his stuff. We were working out of a co-working space before and they were like, yeah, we've got a soundproof room. We use that. And the podcast literally was a result of all these different people helping us. Mm. So that was amazing. And then even in terms of desk space. So when I was on the accelerator in the pre-interview, interviewed with one of these women and she was just like, I really like you basically. And she said, look, come into our office and I'll give you some desk space and let's see if we can sort of help you can have access to my team. And we've seen that sort of kindness again and again. And I think it's not even that they're like, wow, what you're doing, amazing. They're just like, do you know what? You're trying. You're trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's enough. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an yeah. olive branch just because you're trying yeah. and I, I want to help <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, I get and, it. And I think trying, it goes a long way, you know, like being way. able to go to someone and say, this is what I've already done mm. versus going to someone saying, oh, I think I want to do yes. this. The form is more likely to get you someone saying, actually, do you know what? I can actually really help you. Yeah. And then the, the other... and I can see where else you could go yeah. if I helped yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the other sides is advice. I'm constantly surrounding myself and asking people and dipping into networks. It might even be, hey, we've been asked to respond to this brief. How would you do that? Or, hey, we're negotiating this thing. What would you charge? And I think that transparency, especially about money, is really, really important because yeah. we're a lot of times we're underselling, undervaluing ourselves. So it's really important and. It's really important to also talk to men about it because we we tend to talk to other women about how much would you charge? But actually, we know there's gaps in how much women and men get paid. So, so ask the man. Yeah, He's exactly. probably asking a lot more. And in fact, you bring me on to my next question, Afisa, which was how do we engage with men uh, to support us in this journey? Because as you touched on as well, Fee, they, they have a very important role to play. You mm. know, this can't be something that is only female focus we need to do this in collaboration and in partnership with them yeah. so that it's sustaining isn't yeah. it in terms yeah. of equality look I think the biggest problem that men face is this unconscious bias I think generally speaking perhaps not older what do you mean older men against women yeah I think it's just unconscious I don't yeah. think it's meant in any kind of nasty way, okay. you know, I think it's they just have that bias. So, you know, again, it's they're a product of their social conditioning, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And it's um, and it is changing, you know. So, I think there's a lot of men who are younger, the kind of 40, 50 bracket, who now feel they have got a conscience, they may have daughters, they are much happier to go, Yeah, I, I agree with the female agenda as a result of that, are more than happy to really get behind it. That's certainly my experience. Mm. It's not every man, you know, you still, I, I come from having spent quite a bit of time in Australia where there's definite challenges around sexism and racism. It's a very young country. Mm. Um, so I've experienced quite a bit of that issue. And my view has just been to, again, close my eyes and drive through it and mm. ignore it to a certain extent. But I think there is a really big shift, certainly in the business world, where a lot of guys have a conscience 
and they might be unconsciously biased and say some silly things at times, but they're not doing it out of spite. And then on the other side, they're going, well, no, I really want to support this. I I think it's appalling there is an investment in female-owned businesses. I mean, you know, I live in a district of London where it's full of guys that I've gone into a pub for lunch and thought it was actually just for guys because, you know, it's in the Mayfair district, so it's all hedge fund investors, those kind of people, and they're all guys. But I tell you what, you have conversations with them and they all want to change. They all want to be on the journey and that's a pleasant surprise. I think that's a pleasant turnaround Mm. rather than the conversation always being about the negative. I yes. like the conversation to move to the positive and bring more men with and us. And be clear about us. what we need them to do as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to add to that? Please? Yeah, I, I think what's really important is understanding this, the role of allies. And absolutely for us, like so many doors have been opened from men, right? And so while I think it's really important to have networks that do hone down on different parts of who we are it's also as equally important to be able to develop relationships with everyone right because ultimately change is happening but overwhelmingly a lot of the doors that we have to get through when we're working with brands Mm. in particular Mm. are being opened by men Mm. and I think it's about really understanding what's the narrative there what what should you be leading with when you're having those conversations how do you get your make that a compelling story I think there's a huge role there so if we move on to the role of mentors how do you go about finding a mentor obviously you've you've touched on asking for advice fee but also formalizing that mentorship protege relationship does it have to be formal or is it something that should be just quite fluid i've experienced both where um i've formalized more of a mentoring situation and you know had regular touch points with people that i feel that in my instance i suppose there's a a slight element of being slightly anti-establishment in a good way and so i've looked for people who are quite quirky and different it appeals to my sensibility my way of thinking i'm a bit of a creative but concrete thinker so but so i've looked for those people who can also understand that personality type who have that kind of thinking because that appeals to me rather than oh, that person's really successful, that doesn't mean they're necessarily the right person for mm. you. Yes. I had a mentoring session with a, a wonderful gentleman, an older gentleman, very, very successful. So uh, he's called Jack Cowan. He's mm. Australian-Canadian. He owns the Domino's franchise, the KFC franchise. And, and in Australia, it's called Hungry Jack's, not Burger King. Mm. And I went to see him and he said, I said, Jack, I need to find my inner bitch Mm. (laughs) I'm I'm too soft and I'm very loyal and people really take advantage of my loyalty Mm. and my meaning and my sense and he said I tell you you need to hire it you need to hire you in a bitch. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, when I started out making hamburgers, I don't know how to cook. I still don't know how to flip a hamburger. I had a guy that did. Yeah. And it was actually one of the best pieces of advice right? I ever did. So simple, but yeah, so profound. <laughs> hire, yeah. hire the hire the specialist. Yeah, that you don't have. Yes. Who can do things better than you. You can flip hamburgers. You can flip hamburgers. <laughs> the pizza. I think mentorship is often made into 
something that's not accessible and everyone's always like, how do I find a mentor? Where do I start? And things like that. Again, I'm going to plug Twitter. Twitter is amazing at that. Again, people yeah, love being like asked Twitter. for advice. Like, And I have a mix of formal mentors and then informal mentors. So one of my mentors is called Lee and he's based out in LA and we'll catch up maybe like once a quarter I think it's really important to understand what you want from a mentor and what you're looking for a mentor. So with Lee in particular, he's there to just ask really hard questions and get me to self-reflect. And especially because he normally has very little contact with me between those sessions. For me, I've got all this stuff going in my head and I'm, and I'm like in the day to day. And for him, he's just looking at it from a very bird's eye perspective. And that's really valuable to me. And then I've got mentors who it's more about the nitty gritty and it's more about how do I handle this specific situation or we've got this challenge. How would you sort of go about it? And that for me is a lot more informal. And sometimes I will say to people, I might meet someone that I really like and I, I think I can learn a lot from. And I might just say, hey, you're right with me just sending over a couple of emails now and then when I need help. Because I think sometimes when you make it like an official, will you be my mentor? It's quite daunting for that mm, other person yeah. in terms of a time commitment mm. as well. But I found that, again, most people, they're happy to reply to a couple of emails. Mm. And then if they sort of reach out and say, oh, let's jump on a call to mm. talk about this further. Mm -hmm. I think just really being respectful of their time mm -hmm. and just making it as low barrier to entry for them to be mm -hmm. able to give you that help is mm -hmm. really important. Mm -hmm. uh, sadly, we're nearly out of time today. But one thing I always ask every guest on this podcast is who is your champion? And if you could pick one person or a story that you think of as your networking mentorship champion, who would it be? B? I'm finding this a really difficult question to answer because the amazing women in our network who come through our doors, who talk to us, who share, who are vulnerable, who support one another, they make me feel so amazing. For me, they feed my soul. Mm. And because we're a commercial organisation, we're a purpose-driven organisation, yeah. and our purpose is sacrosanct to who mm. we are, that feeds my soul and that's where I come from. And for me, they're all in terms of glib champions, but they're, we're all champions. And together as a whole, you know, there's lots of amazing women I could say I look up to are champions. But for me, that wholeness is something that I feel that's the best way I can answer the question. So I'm torn between two people. Well, give them both credit then. All right. Yeah. All right then. So my first one is a woman called Alex DePledge who was one of my first mentors who said, hey, come into our office and give me desk space. And she's founded two companies now. And I think of her as a champion because when I met her, she's northern, she's very, what you see is what you get. And she was one of the first people that I'm really glad I met early in my journey because she just showed that you didn't have to be this other person it she mm. was just herself yeah fully mm. herself she's loud mouth she says it how it is she doesn't sugarcoat and she's just really incredible and I think she gives a lot of power to people to be like actually I can whether it's me on tv whether it's me on a stage whether it's me the other day we we're at the palace together whatever context I'm in this is who I am mm. and I really really love that about her and I think she champions that and sort of funnels it back out and then the second person I'd actually say is my sister oh, so nice. my sister who's my co-founder she 
the way I describe her is we're very different. She is definitely extroverted and I always say she could make friends with a rock. Like mm. she is that person where she's waiting to talk to someone. Mm. I think for me, she's always really pushed me. So even when we go to networking spaces she'll say right you have to speak to at least five people wow. <laughs> yeah literally sets me homework and she's just very warm and I think again she's just very honest in the way she comes across and she is who she is and she's just got an incredible way of being able to connect with people from the unlikeliest of backgrounds and then she'll come home and tell us a story of like I met this person today and now we're going to be doing X, Y and Z together mm. and I think that quality every single person she meets no matter who they are she almost champions them right mm. and she she always tries to uplift someone else mm. if she's like talking to them mm. and so I think she deserves a mention Brilliant Two great women <laughs> Well speaking of two great women thank you both so much uh, for being on the show you're fantastic Sadly that's it for this episode but find out more about how NatWest supports female-led businesses by searching NatWest Women in Business online. Bye everyone. You bye. Too. Say bye too. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>